the roll and go. Where am I to go, meet Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. I am so grateful you have chosen to listen to me and to go on the travels and see the things and go to the museums that we have managed to go through for the last two seasons. I have really enjoyed doing this podcast, and I hope you stick with me. It makes me happy to know that people are enjoying what I do. On another note, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we are on Facebook at Where Am I To Go podcast. We have lots of pictures. We have places that we go that we don't do podcasts on. And we have lots of things to see and think about when you decide you're going to travel or if you're just interested in learning about different places that we go. Also, we have an email account at whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. And if anybody has any comments, ideas, thoughts, you are more than welcome to email me there, and I will do my best to answer, and we'll see where everything goes this season. I've got some neat things lined up, and I hope everybody is ready to go for a museum tour ride. Today we're at one of my absolute favorite museums. I was here a couple years ago, and the story is Linda and I were driving down the interstate coming through Tucson, and as we were coming through, Linda saw that they had a miniature museum. And my comment was, I don't really want to go look at a bunch of little doll houses today. And Linda says, but I want to. So I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go bear through this. As we walked out of this museum, I said, that was the most fantastic museum. I could not believe all the small things that are in here. And she says, yeah, it was like a doll museum. And... I just I couldn't believe that she didn't have the same total infatuation that I did. But today we're here with Lisa. She's going to take us through this museum. And hopefully, if you ever get a chance to be in Tucson, you make it to this museum because it's just such a fantastic place. Anything you can imagine is small, really small, <laughs> and, and not even imaginable. So anyway, welcome, Lisa, to Where Am I To Go podcast. Well, thank you for having me, having me on the podcast today and for visiting our museum again. We're excited to share it with you and show the public around. That sounds awesome. So tell us a little bit about this museum. It's not small. It's, <laughs> no, it's a miniature it's not. museum, but it's a huge museum. Yeah, we have over 10,000 square feet of exhibit space. And we feature dollhouses from dating back to the 1700s through contemporary times. We have one that was created in 2021, in fact. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's right here in our lobby, so I'll I was have a say, chance I'm to not, show I, you. It's I don't new think to I would you. have seen that one. Yeah, you wouldn't have seen that one. As you and walk into the lobby, you've got your, your front desk. Your uh, admission is, is what? Uh, right now, it's 1154 adults, okay. and um, it is... Uh, we do have a senior rate, 1050 for seniors, and um, we have a youth rate of 850 and, um, or excuse me, $8. And then $8 for youth, 4 to 17, 3 and younger are free. We also offer some discount admissions for those who uh, might find it hard to meet that admission price. Okay. So they can just check at the desk when they arrive. Okay. And then when you look over to the left, you see this is your 2021 dollhouse? No, it's ac the 2021 oh. is actually over here. This one is from the 19, late 1980s. 
actually. And this one is called Lanyap, and it was created by a miniature artist um, back starting in 78, and she finished it. She went back into it 10 years later and redid it because she wasn't pleased with the way all the rooms were, and she had developed more skill. So she gutted several of the rooms and redid them. Okay, and we're looking at a house that is probably uh, six foot long, two stories, it's three foot tall. It would look like your regular house, no, not your regular house, like your house on the hill that you always wondered what the heck that house looked like <laughs> inside. It's decorated in kind of a Victorian style, I would say. You've got a grand piano, you've got a dining set, you've got a, the big stairway like you'd see in... Uh, uh, Gone with the wind. Yeah, well, let me tell you a little bit about it. Actually, tell me a lot about it. Yeah, I know a lot about it, so I'll share. I'll share with you um, the history of this. So, the artist's name is Madeline Cook, and she wanted to create a house that would represent the Virginia Tidelands at, during the Revolutionary Period. Okay. So she actually based this house on Mount Vernon, so it's got a oh. similar look. And now that I said that, you'll probably recognize that it looks similar to Mount Vernon in its format. And um, she was really, she's really a big history buff. So she did a lot of research on that time period in that region. And um, what she decided was that the owner of this house would be a seafarer who um, had sailed the seven seas and he was trading around the world and okay. he was filling his house with items that he uh, collected while he traded. And so you can get a sense for what countries the United States was trading with during this time. So we've got India, we've got China, we've got Spain and France. And um, uh, then if you're, we're looking at this side, so this kind of gives us a history of um, who we're connected with in the world. But if we come around to the other side, um, what she's representing here is a cotton plantation okay. of that time period. And um, so she has a spinning and weaving room up there as a nod to that history. Okay, this is in the roof, mm -hmm. the, the spinning and weaving, and they left the shingles out so that you could see that room. Yeah. And they've got a loom in there, they've got a spinning wheel, they've got, they've got everything that you would expect to see, and it's all done. The, the loom is probably four inches tall and, and five inches wide. I mean, miniature. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely, this is on a one twelve scale, so one inch equals a foot in the real world. Okay, okay. And um, since she was hearkening back to that time and wanted to teach some history about that period, um, she included a number of things that represent the historical period of the revolution. So one interesting thing that I want to point out is this desk in this office. This is actually a replica of George Washington's desk that he had in his office in New York City when the Capitol was in New York. So wow. she did some research on that and replicated it herself. Okay, and this one even has some floorboards that are taken out that have muskets and other guns exactly. underneath the floor. Exactly, and you can imagine why. This is revolutionary period. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, billards was a big game. It was new to the States, so she included that in here. You're going to see the eagle represented. It was newly... Um, what's the word, uh, identified as, you know, our national right, bird. Right. And um, you can get a little bit of a sense of um, the lifestyle. If we come over to this side where the kitchen is, um, you can see, you know, how they would um, have designed and cooked and the kinds of foods they would have eaten. The pantry is right next door, so you can see how they preserved some of the food. And when she's talking about the kitchen, we're looking at... Uh, uh, full roasted pig on the table. We're, we're, we've got knives. We've got rolling pins. We've got all of them we've in got the one twelfth scale. So if you yeah. can imagine a rolling pin that you use to roll out your pie dough, 
and then drop that down 12 times its normal size. That's what's inside this room, and you can see it. The candles, the pots, the pans, everything is, is to that scale. How long did it take to build one of these? How long? I mean, I know you said yeah. she took 10 years off. Yeah, so it took her a couple of years, and um, first she did all the research, and then uh, she constructed, then she had to drop the plans, and then she had to drop all the plans for all of the objects she was going to have in here. And she made 90% of the objects. So about 10% of the objects were things she acquired from other miniature artisans who she admired. Are you and, serious? Yes. So she, when she was a young girl, her dad you know, let her in the tool shop and let her use his wood-turning tools, and she did jewelry making, and she sewed, and she did all kinds of different sorts of uh, arts and crafts. And so when she um, went to the art of miniature, she applied all those things to this project. Um, her and husband did help her a little bit with um, laying the, the floor and the tiles on, or the shingles on the roof. But um, for the most part, she did it herself. And she would work 12-hour days. She said it was a passion of her life and the love of her, you know, it was the thing she enjoyed the most. And she put in lots of hours. So as I said, she did this over about two-year period. And then 10 years later, when she had more skill, um, she looked back at some of the rooms, and she wasn't happy, and she gutted them and redid them. <laughs> so. And you can't see my face right now. I'm standing here with a look of total disbelief that she actually carved all of these little pieces. I, I just, I'm stunned that at, we've got little puppets and, and toys in the toy room. Uh, all the items on the desk, the papers, the, the calendar, you can actually read the calendar dates on a calendar that is a half inch by half inch. Mm -hmm. It's just, and all the little animals on the shelves. I mean, we're talking animals that are not much bigger than a grain of rice, but you can tell what they are. There's a pig, there's a goat, there's cows, there's a horse. And she made all of that herself. Yeah, yes. And the other thing, um, one thing that she was really proud of were the rugs that she put in this, in this um, house. She actually used a special um, Russian punch technique and used a hypodermic needle to punch oh. the pattern. She designed the rugs, wow. created the patterns. Um, we're real fortunate when she donated this piece and a dozen of her pieces to the museum, she also gave us some of her leftover materials and her notebooks that have the patterns in them for the chairs and for the rugs and various things. So yeah, it's a And we're it's looking at a rug that amazing. is one of those Persian rugs that does not have an easy pattern to it. <laughs> exactly. And Very she, complex. And she built another dozen of these things? Uh, all different kinds of things. We have a few things out in the gallery right now. Some of them are in storage. But yeah, she, she did quite a few pieces. We only have a dozen of her pieces. And she's what, 150 years old? <laughs> she actually just passed away a little over a year ago. And um, she was around the age of 90. Wow, you'd think thought that she would have needed two or three lifetimes to, to do what she did yeah. just with this one. Oh, I can't right. even imagine another dozen that you guys have plus more. There's a picture of her, by the way. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, let's move on into to one of your well, galleries so here. This oh. is the newest piece we've acquired. Okay. Um, so this is a really fascinating piece as well. Um, this is the Ball Paler House. It's a historic home that was built in the 1950s here in Tucson, designed by um, a, a local architect, Arthur T. Brown. Here's a picture of him up on the okay. wall. And um, Arthur T. Brown was a mid-century modern architect, and one thing he was known for was his progressive way of thinking. So this house, back in the 1950s, has a lot of elements of passive solar designed into it. Oh, really? Yeah, and this actually, this house was um, uh, 
pre pretty well known. It doesn't. It's very unassuming, especially from the front. If you come well, around to this side, well, it definitely has. When you when you look at it, you definitely see the fifties oh, yeah. building style with it. Oh, yeah. it's got his uh, Mercedes parked in the back. <laughs> so from the um, from the street, this would be your view. So it's okay. really unassuming. But when you come around to the back, and you know when the roof comes up, you can see the interior, which we'll have to wait for that to happen again. <laughs> I was going to say when we came over here, the roof was sitting about a foot above, so that you could see all of the interior designs and and things that they had inside the house. Yeah, we have it on a motion sensor so you can get a sense of what it looks like with the roof closed and what it looks like so inside. So do we need to run around it a few times in <laughs> we'll order to, we'll get have it to, to come. Yeah, we'll have to come back because we do have it set on a timer so it's not constantly going oh, up and down. Because okay. <laughs> then it would break. But so for example, these solar shades on the patio, uh -huh. they were designed, so actually this was owned by two women. Um, their names were Miss Ball and Miss Paylor. And um, they were pretty small women, smaller than me. and. Um, they had these aluminum frames or uh, shades and you could roll them along the edge of the patio oh. here so that you could allow the sun in the windows or not in the windows depending on the season. And the so they were on a rail that, that yeah. moved around this circular yeah. patio. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And when the roof comes up, it actually, this one will move, so you can get a sense of that, too. Okay. We just happened to miss it because we were over here. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, the uh, the house has lots of var various elements, like the concrete goes into and it's polished inside to help bring the heat into the floor okay. of the building, for example. Um, you know, small windows at the tops of the walls, except for this wall, which was south-facing, which would allow the light to come in in the winter and moving the shades, keep the house cool in the summer, and so on. There are more elements to it, but um, this was actually a pretty well-known home. He was written up in uh, several national magazines for this house, the design of this house, and um, so we just recently had it commissioned um, to have a piece that would represent a home here in Tucson of significance, and then also show, you know, they were already starting to think about the use of um, uh, the natural environment right. to um, heat and cool our homes. And um, so we're using it for educational programming that, uh, so students can learn about um, sustainable building design. Cool. And um, we're really excited. We're just kicking off that, um, ac that education program. They're learning about sustainable building design from a house that was built 50, 50 years ago. Yeah, well, more than that, actually. Yeah, no, 70, 70 years, years ago. ago. 70 yeah. years ago. Yeah, so it, it shows, you know, that legacy and, and where we've come. And they're using 3D printers, too, as they, right. they make their own little houses. They design their own houses using some of these ideas. And then they do some testing to see what works best. So they're learning about solar as well as, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's really... It's really an um, exciting piece to have in the museum, even though it's kind of unassuming when you walk up to it at right. first. Okay, now, speaking of 3D printing and stuff, have mm -hmm. people that are building these houses now moved into uh, modern techniques of using 3D printers to make the little tiny rolling pins? Or um, People do use it for certain things. So there were a few elements that it was used for in here. It's usually when they have to replicate like a lot of stuff. So this is on a a half inch scale. So it's a half inch equals a foot in the real world. Because if we had it on a right. uh, one inch scale, it'd be so huge. So the artist, for example, when he created the little knobs for the kitchen cabinets, because they were like this big, he designed the knobs and then he 3D printed enough okay. for the whole room. So that's what they'll do is they'll make the uh, original and then they'll 3D print in a case like that. You know, okay. So there are ways that it can be used that way. But we do have a show right now that features um, the Cultural Army of Tucson, which is 3D printed um, community members. So let me take you in and show you that. Okay, okay. <laughs> Since you brought it up, we can always come back. <laughs> okay, yeah. 
And as we're walking through here, there's just there, there's more houses and more houses and more houses. <laughs> but uh, we're just going to come right in here. The one thing that that okay, so you build one of these houses, and they're called a dollhouse, but I don't see how a kid would ever be allowed to play <laughs> with the dollhouse. Um, yeah, these are not the kind of dollhouses that you play with, obviously. These, um, actually, you know, the history of um, dollhouses um, goes back to royalty. Okay. Um, in the 15th century, 14th, 15th century, um, where the royalty had, uh, they started by having small objects, um, real life objects made small out of silver and um, using them kind of as display or toys for the royal children, like army soldiers kinda and that like kind of thing. Kind of like the pewter toy soldiers. Yeah, kind of like that, exactly. That, that okay. was kind of the history of it. That's how it started. And then the women of the house, the, the royalty of the house, had a cabinet built, and then they had objects in their home reproduced in miniature and placed in the cabinets. And it wasn't meant to be a toy for their children. It was a display to show the wealth and taste. And the cabinet house would often be designed um, along the lines of their um, actual home. So if they lived in a Georgian style home, for example, um, the cabinet would have a feel for that. You right. know? And I, I, since I'm talking about it, why don't well, we go? Let, let, let's go back okay. to this one that okay. we just came to. You sidetracked me. I can really talk and talk. I am really bad that way. You're going to have to keep up with me right. because we'll I'll, I'll ask questions and bounce back and forth. And I've got a little bit of AD. Hey, there's a squirrel. Uh, anyway. Well, it's a good thing you can edit. <laughs> All right, so Cultural Army of Tucson. So Rudy Flores and Teresa Estrella are artists. And Rudy got really interested in 3D printing. And this was back in 2015. And um, he was asked by a, um, a local band to make an album cover for them. And he was trying to come up with a concept. And he, his son said, hey, why don't you turn them into army figures? And having just got this 3D printer, he decided, oh, that's an interesting idea. So he scanned the guys in the band, and um, then he manipulated the file, you know, on the computer, and turned them into little army people and painted them green. And the guys loved it. And then Rudy thought, you know, this is such an interesting idea. What if we scanned community members and turned this into a community project? And instead of being army soldiers, what if they're community, culture, the cultural community of Tucson? So he did a series of um, people in the community as army figures. This is volume two. So this is the second project. Really? Yeah, we actually exhibited his first group back in 2016 when he, after he completed it. We had over 300 cultural army figures in the exhibit. And um, uh, as COVID sort of started to get under control, of course, we're still dealing with it a little bit, but as that got under control, he was thinking about the culture army again and how people had been impacted. And he thought, you know, I think I want to do another series of this and just touch base with people again and see, you know, how it's going. So uh, because as he was doing this, he had so much fun getting to know the people because they would come to his studio and, you know, he'd scan them and talk and that kind of thing. And sometimes the whole family would come and get scanned. So the Ronstadt family, for example, a number of them are, um, scanned here and uh, in this particular exhibit. I, I don't remember which ones they are without looking at the the key, but um, I actually got scanned too. I'm over oh, here. Oh, you are? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and you guys cannot see the smile on my face. I'm laughing at this. These guys are all in the army green, just like you see the little army green toys that your kids are playing with. But we've got community members that are playing guitars. We've got one riding a bicycle. We've got another one pounding a hammer. 
We've got our we've got Lisa over here with her finger in the air. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm actually sitting down. I'm oh, drawing. you're the one sitting. Yeah, down. I'm okay. an artist too. I couldn't so see I'm the drawing. facial features well enough to make the identity. <laughs> Uh, we've got people riding bicycles, a three-wheeled bicycle, uh, some people lifting weights, somebody playing a cello. And it's all, when you walk in here, you think they're army men until you start looking at it. Somebody doing yoga. Uh, <laughs> it's just, this is so much fun. I Isn't mean, it it's great? really so much fun. <laughs> it is. And so there's you'll... not a single one of them carrying a gun, a gun that I can see, but that's what you would expect when you walked up to the display is army men. <laughs> This is a blast. It really is. This so is really fun. fun. So you can get scanned while you're here in Tucson, you know. Oh, I could. Yeah, and you can contact Rudy. Yeah. Oh, well. well, not in this particular show because we've already got it up on display. It's <laughs> <laughs> such an interesting project. I'm sure that he's yeah. had a lot of fun with it oh, as far he really as the has. people he's met. And yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now we rabbit hole down this one. Now let's go back to where you were going to take me again. Okay, when I asked so you the last question, yeah. if you can remember what it was, because yeah. I'm trying to remember myself. We were talking about the history of miniatures and oh, dollhouses. Right, right, right. So I wanted to take you over here. So this is a. Um, they called it a baby cabinet, not because it was for babies, but because it was little. So this is um, a Georgian uh, baby cabinet, and it's from 1775, England. This one was made in 1775? Yes, made in 1775 in England. And um, the facade was actually lost when our founder acquired this. She acquired it through an auction. It had a plat, uh, plywood front. So she removed that. And then she um, had another miniature artist and her do some research. And they um, created a facade for the cabinet that they thought would give you a sense of what it probably looked like. So we have that up over there just okay, to give you a sense okay. of what the dollhouse probably looked like. So it just had a piece of plywood stuck over on, the, front on the front instead yeah. of actually having the ornate door and windows and all of that. Yeah, at the time. Wow. And actually, it was painted bubblegum pink. So over time, you know, as oh. this was passed down, somebody painted it. So they stripped all the paint to bring it back to its original um, wood and, and we're looking slender. at a cabinet that would look like it's got legs lifted off the floor about 18 inches and then it's a cabinet that's uh, four foot wide and probably a little over four foot uh, tall with the, with the legs being an extra foot mm -hmm. and you've got quite a bit larger figurines in there. Mm -hmm. I'd say that the figurines are all six inches mm -hmm. tall. So I guess one inch to a foot again, maybe. So or... in this period, when, when they first started making these cabinets, they weren't worried about trying to make it look realistic like the real world. Okay. So the scale was all over the place. Sometimes you would have a giant um, pot and a tiny little figure. You'll see that okay. in some of our other historic pieces here. Um, the, the dolls and the furnishings that are in this house um, are probably not original to 1775. Our founder believes they're probably more like um, 1800 okay. or early 1800s, maybe 1830. Um, we can't know for sure because they're not dated. Right. But um, they seem to be about that period. Um, one really unique thing we have in this cabinet that's very cool is on the bookshelf down there, the books that you see in that right. cabinet and up here on the second shelf, um, that is a complete set of Shakespeare's plays. Are and it's you printed. serious? Yes, it's printed. They're printed? That's They're printed. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm looking at a book that's probably uh -huh. uh, two inches tall, and they can't be more than an inch wide. And, and you, about a can, quarter can inch you, thick. Can you read it or magnifying um, you can. glass you can. only? Yeah. Um, or microscope. Yeah, the, the paper's really thin and fine, and it's so it's not something we normally like to handle. Oh, yeah. Because no. it's just so fragile. But, um, yeah, you can open it up, and you can actually read it. And um, so, 
Now, coming through this museum before, I saw the books. I did not, or, or saw several different books in different <laughs> houses. I had no idea that they were written on. I've, I've talked several times in one of your displays, you've got a golf digest sitting on a t table. <laughs> I was able to read from standing outside the case the date. I was able to see the golfer with his hand up in the air holding onto the golf club. And I was going, how do you make that clear fit that small? I mean, it's, it, it's just, it, it, every time I turned around, I was amazed. Mm -hmm. I, I walked out of here with my mouth on the floor, <laughs> or my jaw on the floor. I just, oh. It's amazing what people will do when they set their mind to something. Oh, man. You know, and it takes practice, and it's not like they just, you know, they're not novices. They've had a lot of experience with this. Okay, we come to another house that, mm -hmm. uh, again, is, is a nice-looking house. It looks like an early 1900s, late 1800s farmhouse. Yeah. And it's the two-story, like what mm -hmm. you see driving out across Kansas or something. Mm -hmm. Well, it's actually from the East Coast. This is actually okay. a copy of a real home that still is standing in Malden, Massachusetts. Okay. So the, the gentleman who lived there back in 1880 decided to make a dollhouse of his actual home for his probably grandchildren. Okay. And... Um, so he built this house, and he, uh, he the furnishings that you see were put in here by our founder. She collected okay. a whole bunch of um, antique and fine-scale miniature artisans' work, and she furnished this house. But it's called the John Bellamy Complex because John Bellamy is the man who built the actual dollhouse. Okay. And then um, when we had it uh, installed in the museum, we had um, a miniature artisan who is recognized by the miniature community, the International Guild of Miniature Artisans, as um, a very talented, you know, uh, she has artisan status, I believe, or, or fe fellow status, meaning she's really good at what she does. Right. And she did all the landscaping and say, all the of the plants. Beautiful. Yeah, she did a really wonderful job. And the wisteria vine that goes up the side, and um, and she was. We've had her here. She has moved back to the south, but um, she was living up in Phoenix for a while, and she came down and talked about her piece. And she talked about how she orders her papers for her petals from Japan, so she can get a really fine, thin, strong rice paper, and then she paints both sides of the paper and you know she has to be uh, she does layers of colors so that she can get a natural effect on the the papers to get the plants to look you know a certain way and the one thing she told us is that this is not a uniform season like you'll see plants that are in bloom together that wouldn't necessarily be in bloom in real life but she did that for effect <laughs> It's but just, they think about all those things right, is right. the point of that. You know, normally they would think about what would be living and what would be, um, you know, rotting away or whatever. Wow. Or out of season. So That's just mind-boggling. Yeah. The, the thoughts and, and the process of, of what goes into this. Mm -hmm. Now, when we were here last time, I think that things have changed a little bit because it seems mm -hmm. like there was a carnival display. Yes, there probably here. was. We had a show called... Um, the, it was uh, John, uh, Jean Leroy's um, Circus Parade. Right. We had that on display. But um, currently we have an exhibit called Sentinels of the Sea. So you change this particular room out or all of um, We change out. Uh, we usually have an exhibit in here in the spring, okay. in January through the spring. And um, 
sometimes in the fall as well. So we change exhibits. We have three little larger exhibits um, throughout the year, one in the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall. And then we do smaller exhibits like the community corner one that I just showed right. you with uh, Rudy Flores. So this is our current exhibit. It's um, miniature ship figureheads oh. by Lloyd McCaffrey. Oh and um, he also builds ships, but he lives in Colorado. He's going to be moving to Tucson. I'm excited. He lives in Colorado, and um, they were just too fragile to ship. So he decided he couldn't include any ships in the show, but we did, we're doing his um, ship figureheads, which are amazing. So as you can see, they are really small. Uh, yes, we have they a, are. And these are like the, the ladies or mermaids or whatever that yeah. you see on the front of like pirate ships. or, or Well, any ship. These are actually from merchant ships. Are they really? Yeah, most of these. Uh, They're the still ones, using them today on um, the front of ships. Not, not really say, anymore. No, no, really no. Seen. No, these are merchant ships from the 18th uh, okay, century, okay. Um, mid 1800s into. Uh, I think we have one or two from the 18th century. I meant 1800s. They're from the 19th century, um, like 1830 through 1910 ish. Wow. Is so he he um, has a passion for ships and loves the figureheads as well and does lots of research on that and he's been carving ships and carving these figureheads for years. He did a series of naval figureheads as well as um, commercial clipper ship figureheads and these are all the commercial clipper ship figureheads. And, and we've got we've got mermaids, we've got angels, we've got uh, I guess it's a cupid, it's an angel shooting an arrow. Mm -hmm. We've got a guy with his hat saluting somebody. That's uh, the champion of the sea. So these are all sort of, uh, what is the term, um, uh, allegorical, I guess okay. you could say. You know, like northern lights, morning lights, star of the empire. But that um, doesn't really describe what they look like. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I've got a stupid question to ask yeah, you because I'm going go down another rabbit hole. Uh -huh. How many of these artists are cross-eyed? <laughs> Ah, that's a really good question. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I know that they have amazing uh, power tools to be able to see these oh, things. Oh, man. But, you know, it's interesting. We, one thing that was really interesting is we, um, last year at this time, we had an exhibit of sculptures in the eyes of, uh, in the eyes of ne sewing needles. And on the, no. uh, the heads of pens, yes, <laughs> by an artist from Colombia. And uh, she... Um, she has been doing this since the late 80s, early 90s. They were amazing, absolutely amazing. And you had to have a microscope. You had to see them with a magnifier because oh. they were so tiny. They were difficult to see. There was one that was big, and it was about this size. But some of them were, you know, really in the eyes tiny. of a needle. In the eyes of literally in the eye of a needle. We actually acquired, and some of them were on the side of a needle. Some of them on the top of a pinhead. Some were a little bit bigger, you know, like on the top of like a nail. Uh, <laughs> bigger, like on the top of a nail. <laughs> I, I mean, this is the kind of stuff we're dealing with here, right. people. This is just unbelievable. Uh, yeah, and when they she, say miniature museum, it is small. And she just sculpts them mainly with, um, with needles and with her fingers. Really? Yes, and paints them. <laughs> and then, and she did most of it just using, like, magnifying glasses and nothing more. Oh, my God. I think if I, I, I mean, go into surgery, crazy. I want the doctor to hire her. <laughs> yeah, really. Incredible lady. So, wow. so yeah, we, we we're fortunate to acquire one. We don't have it on the floor right now, so I can't show it to you today. But, um, yeah, it's amazing. And some of these do. other ship uh, front pieces, I can't remember. Figureheads. Figure Figureheads. You've got a dog. You've got an eagle, an eagle's head, mm -hmm. uh, seabirds, a, fi a flying fish. I love the flying now, fish. Now, how cool is that? <laughs> 
and then, then and then there's another five cases. Yeah. So that, here's Davy Crockett. Oh, really? Yeah. This is a, a pretty well-known figurehead. Um, several Native Americans who were known. Um, Red Jacket was a famous Native American. And these um, ones here are more warrior style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know you want somebody fierce and strong that you look up to. Right. That's why these these kings, these uh, uh, Native American kings, and you know Davy Crockett. That's why I they were I guess I never really thought about it, but even the female figurines are are fierce looking in a lot of ways. It's not it's not like walking down the the thing getting your you know. Uh -huh. uh, no, I'm lost for words because I was <laughs> going to say bad ones. <laughs> well, you know what? Though? You know, they're 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 strong uh, feminine figures. Some of them are. They also were put. The, one of the reasons for the women out in the well, you know, women were not supposed to be on a ship. Right, right. They didn't that want them on a ship. Luck. That was bad luck. But putting a beautiful woman out as a figurehead on the ship, the um, they believed that the gods of the sea would think they were so beautiful and want to make sure that the sea would be calm for them so they'd have a smooth ride. Oh. So that's why they put beautiful women on the front of uh, a ship to, okay. to appease the gods and make them. Yeah, they were still beautiful, but they were... they were Yeah, often strong. Yeah, uh, I mean... Yeah, very strong. Yeah, off, you know, mermaids, angels. It wasn't the super feminine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. So, yeah. All kinds of... Uh, it, yeah, it was so really cool. interesting to... Um, read about this and learn. That's the one thing about miniatures is it covers so many different topics, you know, because people all around the world and, um, you know, throughout history have used miniatures in so many different ways. And, and here at the Mini Time Machine Museum, because we're about, you know, miniatures through time and history, uh, we want to try to show, you know, the broadest sense of miniatures. What are all the different kinds of things that people have done? It's not just owl houses, but, you know, it's carving ship figureheads. It's making the cultural army figures. You know, in Japan, we have some examples of uh, Netskis, the carved toggles that were on the samurai's belt. Oh. Uh, that, that's a form of miniature, you know. We okay. have Thai spirit houses, for example. And, you know, the ancient Egyptians made miniatures that they put in their tombs. We don't have any of those in our... Uh, collection yet? That's too maybe bad. someday. But um, put the word out there. Yeah, and see if we can you know, get we've been some. looking for a show of, of um, ancient miniatures that we can exhibit, at least temporarily. Wow. So, do these people actually make a living? Um, yeah. Doing this miniature stuff? Yeah, Lloyd makes a living doing miniatures. And, really? Um, not everyone does, but many of them right. do. You know, it, it, there is a whole uh, uh, culture. And it's a worldwide phenomenon. They actually, I'm going to Chicago in April for the biggest show in the United States, the Tom Bishop Show, um, which is held every year in the spring. And so vendors and artisans all come together, and collectors all come together to, you know, sell their wares and share their wares and teach classes. And um, you know, that's I can't how even imagine the the dollar figures that would be on some of these dollhouses just because of the time involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were charging. 50 cents an hour, you'd still be in the thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not cheap. Uh, you know, a little table can cost as much as a full-size table. I would imagine. You know, it's got to take it, well, it's yeah, maybe it even takes long longer. I know, yeah. I know with my work, if I've got to put a floor down in a bathroom, it can take just as long as putting it down in a living room. <laughs> exactly. You know, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's got different challenges. So um, I just wanted to stop here for a second because I had mentioned how the scale is all can be all over the place, and this right. is a good example. This is a German grocery store. Now, this was actually meant as a toy for children. Okay. So this is an old dollhouse. Um, let me check the date on here. Yeah, mid 1800s. We don't have an exact date, but um, the uh, in Germany in particular. Um, 
uh, play was meant as a way of teaching kids. Okay. I mean, play really is. I was going to say, that's it's basically, still, it's, it's still, still the is. same thing, but it was really valued. And, and dollhouses were actually really popular. Shops and kitchens were the most popular subjects. And so this is an example of a shop that you might, if you were a wealthy person, you might be able to afford to buy for your child. And you acquire all kinds of things. And um, so this just gives you examples so the kids can play and learn and, you know, right. at the same time. And you've got hanging salamis that are two <laughs> inches long, but you've got a coffee mug up here that's two inches tall. Exactly. And a ringer for uh, wringing your clothes. Is that what that is? Or? It's a paper. Maybe oh, it's, that's, oh, maybe that's, that's, that's paper wrapping for, paper yeah, for that's, butcher. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and that thing's really big compared to the lady. If they were wrap, wrapping steaks that big, it'd be... <laughs> A big package. Yeah, the steak could be almost as big as her. <laughs> right, and so they are kind of all over the place, but yeah. they, but it's really cool. Yeah, I want to point out something that's really a pretty neat piece in this one too. See the paper, the pamphlet there in the right. front, yeah. and if you look carefully, you can see that it's girls playing with the dollhouse, a dollhouse kitchen. Right. That's actually a cookbook, and when you open, it says in German that this is the little cookbook for a girl's dollhouse. So there are recipes in there, so the girls can actually learn how to make food really? and, and do that in their dollhouse. And let me take you around the corner and show you And in kitchen. the 1800s, they weren't going to the grocery store and buying Betty Crocker's uh, Easy box bake oven and box. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to come back to this, but let me show you this kitchen. Okay. <laughs> my, my eyes were wandering really hard. I'm going, we're not passing this up, are we? So this, you can see our estimate is that this is from 1909. Um, okay. The uh, Maurice Gottschalk company was the biggest company in Germany for over 60 years making um, dollhouses and dollhouse kitchens, etc. So this is an example from that time period. Um, but I was just saying, you know, this was meant as a toy where the girls could get some practical experience. So if you look on the wall back there, you see um, a, a coffee grinder. A coffee grinder. Well, actually, there's a coffee grinder on the table. Okay. But that's a mill for grinding oats. Oh, okay. So the girls could actually put oats in there and grind it and create, you know, a flour. Really? <laughs> yes. And then they could um, heat this oven. It's made of metal, and you would heat it with little pieces of candlestick. Our founder actually found used candlesticks in the oven when she really? opened it up. Yes. And so it was so it was like the sterno uh, yeah. deals bulks that they used candles. Yeah. Wow. So they could they could make their dough, use their rolling pin, etc. Make their dough, put their bread in the oven, and and bake it. And then when they were done they could come over to the sink and wash their dishes in the sink and they're actually when you There's, open the faucet you could actually fill your sink with water they put a little you know a box little, on the back so you could fill it with water so you could have the the effect of uh, so this is it. a functioning kitchen <laughs> yes. you got i mean your wash it's, it's all miniature laundry. yeah i was going to say so mom made them wash their clothes with the washboard mm -hmm. too right yeah or at least wash the dish <laughs> towels right Wow. And um, these kitchens always came with lots of brooms. You can see there's several over right. here and dustpans, et cetera, so that they could learn to keep their kitchen nice and spick and span. And, and so what age group was this for? Probably, probably young, eight, ten-year-olds? Probably, yeah, I would say. I mean, kids, well, keep grew, kids mind, grew up a lot faster Yeah, I was going to say, you know, a, a girl of 14 or 15 could be married off, so right. I would say probably eight or ten. Yeah, and you had the um, boys going to work in the coal mines at eight or ten, too. Yeah, you know, craziness. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. How fast kids grew up in those days. Mm-hmm. So this is our oldest piece in the collection. This is from 1742. It's a, a Nuremberg kitchen. So it's the same kind of idea, but just an older version. 1742. Yeah. And what did they use for the floor? 
Uh, it looks like it that's looks linoleum. Like, it does look like linoleum, but I think it's just a painted a floor. A painted floor. Actually. Um, you're, you see the joy of cooking sitting in there. Right now it's it's February. It's month, love of reading month. So we have a little scavenger hunt for our visitors, and oh. we put books okay. throughout the gallery for you to find. And, of course, that would relate to cooking. So. Did you put the Shakespeare <laughs> books in there? Uh, no, we didn't. Those, those are there year-round. <laughs> And this, this little kitchen that she's talking about has a stove in the back and a lot of copper. Yeah. Uh, all the pans are copper. We did uh, a podcast at the Copper Museum in Jerome. Oh, awesome. That was unbelievable. Uh, but they didn't have any of these miniature pans like this. Wow. But this is a full copper kitchen yeah. and just really, really cool. Yeah, so, you know, keep in mind, this would be something only a wealthy family could afford um, during this time period, you know, 1742. Um, but as you move through the gallery, you start to see how miniature dollhouses became available to the masses, the, the general public. God's Chalk was a company that was making them at a variety of different um, price points so that various people okay. could um, purchase them. And in the U.S., Bliss was a really big manufacturer. We have a picture from their okay. old catalog. But these are all Bliss right here. These are Bliss houses. And you can see this. there's one that's pretty simple and even folds up. Okay. For, you know, probably would retail for about, I don't know, a dime a quarter, something like that, versus one that would cost you several dollars <laughs> at the time, you know, for somebody who could afford something a and little fancier. And these here were more in the early 1900s. Yeah, these were turn and, of the century. And the, fronts, the front facade opens up so that you can play inside the house and then close it up when you're done. Exactly. And it looks like they've got little furnishings in there. Mm -hmm. uh, now, were those furnishings fixed, or were they movable to where when you picked this up and moved it, they were all over the house by the time you got it. <laughs> they were they were not fixed. In fact, the furnishings that are in here are just some that our founder put in there to give okay. people a sense. But um, you can see, like, this is also by the Bliss Company. So they, they also made furnishings that didn't necessarily fit in the house, okay. but they made them for the this house size as well. And this, so, has, this has furniture, like a love seat and a couple of chairs and a piano and a lamp mm -hmm. uh, with interesting fabric on it. It's got your ABCs yeah, on the it was, fabric. Yeah, it was the ABC set. <laughs> oh, that's what they called it. Yeah. Hey, how cool is that? Yeah, ABC furniture set. <laughs> okay. Now we we well passed, let's come back here. We, I was going to say we passed pass this up. We, we passed up one that caught my eye like yeah. like crazy. Yeah, this one's really really cool. So um, this is an automated house by a guy named Emil Wick, created um, as you can see in um, 1885 around 1885. And um, what he, he was a um, uh, precision clock maker, no, excuse me, op, uh, like made optical instruments. Optical instruments. Yeah, optical kinds of instruments. Okay. And um, he was also um, a amateur, like clock maker okay. kind of guy. So he got the idea to make these um, animated um, automata houses for his godchildren. Wow. He made five of them. And, really? Yeah, five of them. And um, so this is one example. And um, we used to be able to stop this, but the public discovered the buttons, and then we had to turn the buttons off because they were breaking them. Okay. Well, let <laughs> me let me describe in. this thing. This has this is a three-story house. Uh, it's on a rotisserie, and you've got a bottom cabinet that has three drawers in it. It's it's small. It's two foot by eighteen inches by eighteen inches. But you've got a house on top that has uh, three different levels. You've got, it looks like soldiers on the middle level. 
you've got some dancers up on the top level and you have some diners on the bottom level, mm -hmm. right? And, and some it, it's, I'm, I'm looking too. at the backside, so. Yeah. Okay, some tool, some tool workers on the bottom. Yeah, right? so you've got a maid here pumping some water. We actually have a chimney sweep that comes out of the chimney, um, some birds kissing, uh, a, a soldier who's begging at the door. And when this thing comes around the backside, it looks like the biggest mess of wires and <laughs> Uh, pulleys and weights and everything else exactly. because they've got the back of this off and I'm sure that when you get everything wound up and everything else you've got dancers dancing on top you've got diners eating and workers sawing and everything else this thing is just amazing yeah, I mean, it's really amazing. I, my mind's kind of blown again. It, it's going to happen throughout this whole museum. When you get a chance. But it's it's a bunch of autonomous, uh, what do they call uh, it? Uh, it's an automata piece. So automata, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you get a chance later, Lauren, uh, take a look at the video. It's a okay. three minute video. It will show the piece in motion. We might even get a little. Okay. Oh, yeah. Easy. Yeah. Um, you can see a little bit. Okay, here. I'm going to come back and look yeah, at this. Yeah, it's just too fragile for us to be able to run it. Oh, so, I'm sure. Um, we do it. On a very rare occasion, we'll, we'll when you when you're videotaping but the for video, your yeah, screen. exactly. But that's why we put the video here. It'll give you the history of um, Emil Wick, a little bit of history of Anamata, and we'll let you see and learn a little bit more about this piece. But yeah, basically, it was it had a music cylinder in the bottom and a key wound weight. You turn the key and it set the it pulled the you know, lifted the weight and. Right the weight releases and it sets everything into motion and the music would play. We don't have the music cylinder functioning, but um, pretty amazing. The hard part to this, I would think, would be getting it tuned. Like all <laughs> the wires bent to where the guy sawing doesn't have his saw extending too far. Mm -hmm. And it's still, uh, yeah. And it was, it was so carefully designed that they actually, he had the dancers dancing in time to the music. So he really did a great job in this. And like I said, he did five. The interesting thing is his great-great-grand-nephew uh, gra contacted me. Oh, really? Um, and he was trying to find, he discovered we had this piece, and he was trying to do a little book on his great-great-grand-uncle. And um, so he was doing some research. And um, so he wrote a little publication, which he sent to me. It's in German. It's oh. a little pamphlet. but. Um, really interesting guy, and they know the whereabouts of four of the pieces, but one they aren't sure where it ended up. <laughs> wow, that just is absolutely yeah. amazing. This is another automata piece. Um, we don't have a picture of it running in motion, but um, this is an American piece. We don't really know the date. It was acquired by a gentleman in California who collected automata, and um, his daughter donated it to the museum. When we first got it, um, it was working, but it has some. It has some quirks with some of the, it, the um, there's a leather strap that moves the characters around. Okay. And the leather strap had a break in it. And it's just, it's very fragile. So, you know, and it can run, it's just too fragile. And this to one has it. a water wheel and a guy chopping some wood. Uh, some other guys working on a grinding wheel, a l couple of ladies uh, spinning. spinning and churning uh, butter. butter. And it's kind of a farmhouse. Scene. Yeah, and the chickens peck in the oh, yard. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun. But, yeah, very fragile. So this one, and it had a working clock at one point. So this one, you stick the shaft into the wheel, I believe it was, and, and turn it. Turn but, it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Those old clockmakers were amazing people. I mean, they were from, from making little watches all the way up to making clocks that were 20 feet round, you know, mm -hmm. it's... 
So I could keep you here for probably four or five hours. We're gonna do, we're, we're gonna <laughs> try gonna and keep it couple, to about yeah, an hour and a half. I'm yeah, gonna, let's 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 kind of work through. Yeah, just, there are a couple just, things I'm like, oh, I want to show you this, but I'm like, no, I better move on. <laughs> just be aware this that yeah that so. we're looking at at lots of other pieces as we're walking through and we're mm -hmm. kind of hitting the highlights yeah. but we are now to the one piece or the or the series of pieces that had my mind beyond blown when <laughs> i was here the first time uh. we're looking at pencils now take the lead of a pencil and carve it into a horse rearing up on its back legs or a girl doing some sort of a dance on top of this pencil lead. But those two are amazing. But the one that totally blew Blows my mind, <laughs> and I cannot even begin to comprehend how this could have been done, we have a birdhouse that's probably only a quarter of an inch tall with a bird cage with the the rails coming down and somehow or another there's a bird that you can visibly see mm -hmm. sitting on the inside and it's how in the world do you carve I'm the bird show you. in the middle this oh with the a artist. magnifying or with a with a microscope, a microscope. so this is Salabat wow. Fadai he's from Russia and um, grew up at the foot of the um, Laurel Mountains I think is that right it's been a while since I thought about that, but um, he was—he started out. His parents were artists. He went to art school for a couple of years, but dropped out. And he ended up having a career as a businessman and was really successful. But he was really not really happy. And he bumped into an old friend, and his friend said, "So, hey, do you make art anymore?" And he said no, and he said it was kind of like a pivotal moment for him. All of a sudden he realized that's what was missing from his life, is his creative side. And for some reason, so here you get to see how the bird in the cage yeah, is Yeah, they just got carved. through carving an, an Eiffel Tower. <laughs> okay. So anyway, he, um, he decided that he needed to be creative. And for some reason, he gravitated to carving pencil lead of pencils. I don't know why. I don't think he really knows why, but he started doing it. <laughs> and um, his uh, family supported him. He left his business, you know, his business world and started making miniature carvings on the tips of pencils. He also did some paintings on small seeds like apple seeds and pumpkin really? seeds. And yeah. And um, he has, he, you know, Instagram really brought him to the attention of the general public and he's done things for Starbucks now and and so on but we we um, I was aware of his work and we had an exhibit of three artists a temporary exhibit of three artists who do this kind of work and he was one of them and we acquired these three pieces from him from that show yeah he's the greatest guy too he's just so warm and friendly he was actually in the US at the time but he's back in Russia now really yeah <clears throat> and this we have is, one more pencil carving. Oh, another? Um, by, yeah, by an oh, American yes. artist. With yeah. the train? Yeah, with the train over I here. I remember that one too. Yeah. And so, this is your carpenter's pencil, so yeah, it's a little bit a little bigger. Bit bigger. But yeah. you take a carpenter's pencil and you take the last uh, three inches of it and carve a train on a set of tracks. And how many cars are there? It's a steam train, isn't it? I can't and remember. Uh, <clears throat> it's also just got like the fence and some other things going on there. It's hard to see. But um, yeah, this is by Cindy Chin, and she um, is up in the Northwest. 
and um, not not the coast where is she um, I want to say she's Idaho Idaho or Montana I can't remember but um, she was also in that exhibit and we acquired this one piece from her we wanted to get something a little different and from another artist that had to be a little bit of competition one guy painting doing birds on the tip of a pencil and, and somebody doing trains on the rest of it <laughs> <laughs> and we had a guy from Brazil too who did amazing pieces as well he had like a little boot on the Anyway, they were all amazing. So wow. yeah, such a variety. And then as we're walking things. around, we're we're looking at other uh, doll houses that you kind of have set back into the wall. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of very early American, uh, or uh, maybe these are, even these are like early American. This is like a 20th century basement, early 20th century basement. Okay, <laughs> and it's got the big steam boiler in it with the big with the big pipes for providing heat. And mm -hmm. It's just. When you look at these things, you can relate to them so well because you've been in houses that are just like this, other than it's just super small. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And see. we've got a, a lot more doll houses. Or not doll houses. I'm not even going to call Fine scale them miniature houses. Fine scale That's miniature houses. That's what we like houses. to say yes. because that describes them better. And then you've got some... These uh, are historic figures by a guy named George Stewart. So um, there's a photo of him over there on the uh, story panel. But uh, George Stewart was a raconteur, and he needed props for his um, for when he went out and did his talks about people. Okay, what's a raconteur? A raconteur is somebody who does um, uh, like goes out and does a talk on a subject. Okay, at, okay. You know, a, a public speaker. That's on, not a word I've ever really. Yeah, it's not. It's not one you hear that often, and it's not as popular now as it used to be. Okay. So um, anyway, he was back in the late fifties, early sixties. He um, was starting to do these talks, and he needed props to go with them. So he um, decided that he would make sculptures of the characters he was talking about. Okay. And um, so he started doing that, and then he was asked to make a series of um, figures for. An exhibit at Disneyland, actually. Um, oh, really? Yeah, Monsanto was trying to um, talk about the history of clothing and textiles. And, you know, back in the 60s, you know, right. um, polyester was like a new product. And so they were trying to showcase how um, uh, fabrics had changed over time. And so they asked um, Mr. Seward to make the figures for the exhibit. So these were actually part of that show. And so he's showing different kinds of costumes at that time. Okay, and these, these are a little bit bigger than what your Barbie yeah. doll would be. These are quarter life size. Quarter life size, yeah. okay. So, um, as I said, these were created in the 50, late 50s, early 60s. These are from 1958, I think 56 and 58. Um, Mr. Stewart continued to make historic figures of characters throughout history and around the world um, up until the 90s. He's still alive. He's about 90 himself now. Wow. And um, he still makes figures, but his figures have become so realistic they look like they can breathe. So we wow. learned about Mr. Stewart. Um, uh, he, he had a foundation for a while, and um, the... Uh, the executive of the foundation brought a sculpture over to show us of um, President Lincoln. It looked like President Lincoln reading the, uh, the Emancipation oh, Proclamation. Really? And it was so detailed, like his, um, his uh, dandruff was on the shoulders really? of his coat because Mr. Stewart did research and apparently um, President Lincoln had bad dandruff. <laughs> wow. But he looked like a living, breathing figure. So we did a couple of shows of his more contemporary figures. where And, um, and then um, 
there was uh, a woman whose family had the collection of his original work, you know, his very early figures, and they um, were looking for a museum to donate them to. And we were, they were connected to us by the stewards. And, How um, cool so is that? So we acquired, yeah, his first 32 pieces. So at some point, we're hoping we get some of the later ones because some of the characters that he did early on, he redid later. So for example, we have um, a sculpture of Queen Elizabeth II and, um, and uh, the first Queen Elizabeth as well. And later in his career, he did them, and it just would be wonderful to have an early example. Yeah. I mean, because these are really wonderful, but the new ones are mind boggling. <laughs> so you've got, a, you've got three on display. Yeah, we have three on you've display. Got we have 32. 32 we have 32 total. total. So we have, yeah. Another, another 29 20. you could put out. Yeah. Yeah, wow. so we rotate these every six months. We change them so you can see different examples. Okay. So, yeah. That's Sometimes way cool. we have up to five on display. It just depends what we're showing. It's one of those things that, that museums have so much inventory, I guess you could call it. Mm -hmm. And you get to see certain things. And coming back to the museum, you get to see new things just because that inventory is supposed to be uh, constantly Rotate. rotating out. Yeah. But it's also so cool when you get a family that has that collection that's willing to donate it or loan it or whatever mm -hmm. to the museum so that everybody can enjoy what what they themselves could enjoy just down in their basement. Yeah, exactly. You know, and we, uh, for us, being a small museum and being a pretty young museum, we only opened in 2009, we don't have a lot of money to purchase Right. Objects. So we rely heavily on those kinds of donations, and we've been fortunate to receive some really great gifts. Oh. So, yeah, we can only buy a few things occasionally. <laughs> okay. Is there something else in this gallery that sticks out in your... Um, let me or just we think. Why don't we... Yeah, to... let's move on. Um, okay. Now, now, we're skipping, just so that everybody knows, probably 50 houses. Yeah, we have over 500 dollhouses and room boxes in the collection. And you know, then we have individual objects on top of that. And then there's all the individual objects in each of those individual rooms. And you could easily spend, oh, wow, this is a really contemporary yeah. uh, one here. It, it looks like, what, 2000 uh, <laughs> This was period? actually made in the 1980s. And was it really? it's Art Deco style. It's an Art Deco style. And this okay. is by Madeline Cook, the artist who made the giant house in the lobby. That okay, we saw. okay. This is one of hers. And um, she was inspired when she saw a couch with mirrored ends. And um, she decided she would do an Art Deco black and white room and give you a sense of that. So this is her Art Deco room. And it's called Reflections because she uses Oh, yeah, lots mirrors. of mirrors and That's stuff. Lots of mirrors and lights, yeah. That is beautiful. And Isn't it's not it? anything like what you'd think of with 80s design, you know? Yeah. Uh, Rust-colored carpet. Right, because she was looking back to a different period. <laughs> I want to show Yellow you this one. Yellow cabinet tops. This is a, a more recent acquisition. We just acquired this in... Oh, um, this one's really neat. Yeah, this was acquired in 2020 over the pandemic, and it's a weaver's room. And um, this is by the same artist. Her name is Annie Harsfeld, and she was making miniatures back in the um, 80s and 90s as well. These are from 90 and 91. But um, she she self-taught. She just, you know, started by figuring things out and uh, putting things together, um, and then she started crafting things. So she had acquired this loom from um, a miniature show and decided she needed to make a weaving room for it because she fell in love with the loom. In the process, it's a working loom, so in the process she oh, learned really? how yeah, she learned how to make miniature, uh, she, she wove uh, miniature pieces on the loom. <laughs> and um, well, I've, I've, tried to, I've tried to help somebody string a loom up. <laughs> 
And it was an all-day project with a big one. I can't even imagine trying to get everything lined up and, and ready to go on something that small. Yeah. And there's a lot of strings on there. There's, there's probably 60 or 70 strings coming across that two inches. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, and you've got all the little spindles and all the little yarns and, mm -hmm. and skeins of yarn. And, and some of her weavings on the wall oh, here. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. This is so, so cool. Isn't it cool? I know, I really love this one. <clears throat> and you just acquired this one. We just said. acquired this one in 2020, yeah. Wow. Yeah, she is in her early 90s now, and mm -hmm. so she was looking for a home for some of her pieces, mm -hmm. and we acquired um I'm glad she found it. Yeah, me too. And next to that is a potter's studio by um, oh, Craig yeah. Roberts, and this has got a working potter's wheel. Oh, really? And so he turned all those pots that you see in there. He... Um, <sighs> He was a full-size potter, and he was in a car accident, and he could no longer make big pots. And his daughter said, well, have you thought about making miniature pots? You could do little things with your hands. You don't have to have the strength to do these big things. And that's how he got started. No. And, yeah, and then no, he made the whole no, studio. No, I've, 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 I've grown pots. And, and what do you use to make a bowl on a wheel that is a quarter-inch tall and at the most three-eighths of an inch round, and the center's hollowed out. I mean, it's beautiful pottery. Yeah. Beautiful pottery. I have no idea how you... You, you couldn't get your finger in there to work anything. <laughs> I'm sure he uses special tools. Oh, I'll bet he does. I haven't seen him. He actually... He was here one day, but he wasn't demonstrating. He was selling things at, a, at one of our... We had a sale here once. Oh. But I, what I love about his studio, too, is he really paid attention to all the details. So, like, where he would stand the most, you know, over here, right. where oh, he's yeah. kneading the... Notice how the floor the board is really wall, worn yep, there. Yeah, it's a painted floor, yeah. and, there's, and there's wear marks. <laughs> yeah, so, and he threw, you know, like the stuff he would throw in the bin, he threw it in the bin. Right, there. there's, there's clay shards kind of all over, mm -hmm. just like there would be. There's finished pieces and unfinished pieces and mm -hmm. His uh, pieces that he threw away <laughs> because they just didn't turn out right. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's cool. Yeah, lots of fun. <laughs> Everywhere you go, something new to see. Yes, and, and you could spend hours at each one of these just trying to pull the details out. Okay. Here we got a, a store uh, set up with yeah. all of the packaged goods, and it, it's a probably early 1900 style store with mm -hmm. the fabrics and the desks and the old cash register and scales. and Exactly. Just like I said. This is a fun one, too. Oh, no. Bookstore. No, no. <laughs> so these books are not all printed on the inside. Oh, but, good. But this is actually um, a replica of um, Essence of Island Bookstore in Washington State and um, in the town where um, Annie Hersfeld, this is in Annie Hersfeld, lived. She went there. She documented the store. They um, gave her all kinds of really great, uh, they, I think they gave her the floor plan for the store. And she replicated it in miniature. And she no. said, yeah, she said she knew she got it right when um, one of the little girls was looking at it with her mom and said, I've been there. I've been in that because <laughs> she had played in that children's oh, section oh. before. She oh, recognized but, but, it. <laughs> but seeing the layout is one thing. There's probably, I'm guessing, five to six hundred books in oh, yeah. here. And you can read, the covers are all exactly like the book cover is. And you can read what the name of the book is. The Garden of Shadows, James Clavell's Whirlwind, Enter Talking, Joan Rivers. I mean, the, the books are identical to what they would be in full size, and they're everywhere. They're on tables, they're on shelves. 
They've got like little golden books. No. <laughs> I, I just, this is beyond me. It's kind of like all the, the Shakespeare works. Yeah. I don't like writing that much anyway. <laughs> and to think of having to do it that small for that many books is, is, beyond, is totally beyond my comprehension. Yeah. So you can see, too, a lot of miniaturists like to look at something in the real world and recreate it. Others just kind of pull it out of their head. And so many different ways of expressing um, themselves through miniatures. These are Thai spirit houses. So if you ever visit Thailand, you'll see these out in front of people's homes, sometimes out in front of even a public building. That are um, miniature size? Or yeah, big? Okay. About the, they're the size. These are okay. actual... Um, spirit houses. So in the culture of Thailand, um, some of the traditional religions, um, the traditional religion is Brahmanism, a very old religion. And so there's this belief that the spirits walk among the people and live among the people. And so to make sure that they have good spirits at their home, they um, put out a little house for the spirits. And they will put um, offerings out there. They might put out some food. They might put out some um, drinks, whatever, right. and um, that way they keep the spirits happy, and um, bad things won't happen. <laughs> and so we have examples. They're of really that. ornate too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it shows you that um, you know, again, miniatures aren't just about replicating something. Sometimes they have a religious uh, factor to them or a cultural factor to right. them. Um, wow. This is a neat little house here from J Japan. Um, oh, wow. This artist replicates the traditional farmhouses of Japan um, because they're disappearing from um, the, the country. Right, right. Um, this is a way of documenting the history of the country. And so, I would try to describe this house, but I can't. Yeah, it's a, it's a traditional farmhouse, very, very tall thatched roof because it's multi-leveled inside. And, you know, I don't know enough about the traditional farmhouses of Japan it's an to interesting say looking too much. House. Yeah, it really is. And um, so it's great documentation. And then again, you have another. Uh, this is another Madeline Cook. Is this a Chinese house? Or? So it's the it's called Yu Yuan, and um, she went to China and she saw uh, she went to Old Shanghai, and um, was really inspired by um, the ancient city in there. I'm trying to think of the. There was a particular place, the Garden of Ease, in okay. Old Shanghai, and so this is her in sort of her take on that. It's not uh, meant to be a replica, but it does have um, some uh, some things from there, like the, the wall that surrounded it and the dragons right. that were on that wall. And it's got really neat landscaping yeah. also. Yeah, it does. So she wanted to, it was a house that was above, you know, a little pond. And so she wanted to kind of give you the sense of that space. Right. Yeah. Okay. And now we're walking by more houses. Mm -hmm. We've got, oh, this little chili I love this. Uh, hamburger <laughs> Airplane Cafe. The Airplane Cafe, yeah. So this is actually a replica of a real um, building as well. Okay. This is, um, so in Southern California, you know, when, um, what's his name, was uh, making his first flight, the guy who was um, uh, germ paranoid in the end of his oh, life. Oh, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes, yeah. When yes, Howard Hughes okay. made his flight, you know, and airplanes were new, and that was a big deal. Um, you know, roadside stands around Route 66 started right. popping up with a special personality. So this was actually one that was along Route 66. 
And um, Pat and Noel Thomas decided they are miniature artisans who make a living right. making miniatures, making, and they yeah. teach classes. So they created this miniature, and then they taught a class at the International Guild of Miniature Artisans annual um, uh, school. They have a school every um, June in um, Castine, Maine. Okay. And so they taught this as a class, and this is their prototype for that. And um, so it's a replica of that cafe along Route 66. And wow. one thing that's really cool about this is it kind of gives you a history of um, Southern California, too, at that time, because you've got chili and hamburgers and chop suey on the menu, you know. Chow mein. Yeah, so it kind of gives you, yeah, kind of gives you a sense of the um, the melting pot of California at that time. Right. And, um, and it's just a great piece. And then the diner inside is... Well, and them preserving history this way. I mean, the yeah. thing that's so cool, well, next to it, you've got a butcher shop. Uh -huh. In the way that a butcher shop would have been in 1920. Yeah. And history, you can, you can see history. You can go to museums and kind of see what this is all about. But you come here and you get such a wide variety in 10,000 square feet. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's why we're called the time machine. Time machine, time machine, exactly. Miniatures. And you can see how all of this was done, and probably more so than what you do when you go to a museum and see a regular big display, because everything is so there. You know, you <laughs> yeah. see the back room, you see the front room, you see all of it, yeah. versus going to a museum where you just see the butcher shop sitting there. You don't mm -hmm. get to see the, the meat locker and that type of thing with it. Yeah, yeah. This is just... I have to point out that this is in an old um, dental sterilizer. Oh! <laughs> That's what the box yeah. is. Yeah. So a lot of times miniature artisans like to take unique containers and then create a scene within it. So this was a unique container that it they wasn't, found. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the container too, but I was also looking at the, the, the scene, beef hanging yeah. in there and, oh, good, and yeah. the lady down on the bottom floor buying or, or shopping yeah. for her dinner for that night yeah. from the butcher shop. Yeah, I and that. I can remember when I was a kid, butcher shops kind of mm -hmm. like that, you know, mm -hmm. that you had your local butcher. You didn't yeah. go to Walmart and pick it all up prepackaged. Exactly. Yeah, we don't see that as much no. anymore. There's one back here that I really love I want to share with you as well. And that's this little barrio kitchen, which is a little bit larger scale. You can see this is like a one six scale. But um, a local artist, um, uh, Mario Patino, created this. And... Um, he was trying to show sort of the, the detritus of life. You know, he yeah. tries to show, um, instead of like having everything pristine and perfect like so many of our dollhouses, this one kind of gives you a sense of, yeah, well, we, we all aspire to live like that, but right. this is more This one here is a more realistic, <laughs> it, and, it, and it's a small kitchen. Uh, the water heater with rust and everything is sitting in the corner. The sink has dishes in it. Uh, the cabinets don't have doors on them and and they're just kind of wooden cabinets with a uh, window with some kind of dirty blinds <laughs> and a kitchen table with a coffee maker and a half-eaten pie and two chairs sitting on it it's not doesn't look like it's the most sterile uh, <laughs> situation but you know I've been into some places where people live that look a lot like that yeah exactly and you know I, I thought I love his coffee pot by the way it's yeah so cool. yeah the, yeah the coffee maker yeah and he actually made the rust so that he could put real rust on oh really <laughs> yeah he made his rust and <laughs> yeah the know. water heater looks like it's right on the verge of going to need to be replaced yes exactly you know he he replicated that on a water heater he was it's familiar with in front of the sink. oh yeah yeah, yeah it's I got a little it. uh 
carpet that you know in front of us yeah and, it's and those chairs i mean i i know i've sat in those chairs before <laughs> Somebody well, we, we don't want to lay claim to this <laughs> yeah i had somebody who came in here and was like oh my god who would live like that why why do you have that on display <laughs> there's a lot of people that live like that i can tell you so we got to go in the fantasy room you know okay oh yeah <laughs> Actually, there was another display I've talked about, and uh -huh. I asked my friend who was just here. I, I kept, I, I've told a lot of people about this museum, that they got to be here. Uh -huh. And my friend came in here on Monday, and he said that he did not see the dime scenery display. Is oh, that one still out, or did you put that one away? Uh, yeah, that was um, in our community corner. That was um, paintings on pennies. And we had it where the cultural army is. Right. Well, we did acquire one, but we don't have it on display yet. Oh. Um, we're getting ready to get it on display. We just we're going to be changing it out in the back, but we don't have it up yet. But yeah, um, a, a local artist. Um, were they Brianna pennies Marie, or were they dimes? They uh, they were mostly pennies. A couple of them were, um, I think, like Canadian coins, maybe, but mostly pennies. And she, yeah, she paints scenes on them. No, she doesn't paint scenes on them. She paints all of Switzerland. <laughs> And the Alps and everything yeah. else on them. And I just, I, I stood there looking at scenery pictures from all over the world painted on pennies. Uh -huh. Again, my eyes crossed. I, when I get out of here, I'm going to have to rearrange my eyes, do some exercises to get them to where they're <laughs> back to normal. But uh, yeah, I just, yeah, we had that up when you were here and saw the circus show. Right. right and, yeah. and like you said, I, I knew it was in this area someplace. Yeah. I just didn't know where it was. Yeah. Okay. So that was a temporary show. But, but you guys are in the process of being able to acquire something. We some did of those. acquire one of those. And um, yeah, we just have to have it. We actually just, um, I think we got had, I don't think that one needed to be reframed, but we have a place where we're going to be putting some miniature paintings on display. This is another George Stewart historical figure. So okay. occasionally we put them out. We've had it out. And this to one's go King with. Tut. And, yeah. And that's wow. A, to go along with the King Tut. Okay. Yeah. The fantasy room. The fantasy room. Well, at the, at the front of the fantasy room is this exhibit of miniature silver. Was this up when you were here last time? I don't remember if it was or not. I can't remember I if we, because it's been up, a, a, I feel like we put it up during the pandemic. It's been extended because of the pandemic. So okay. we probably put it up um, when the pandemic happened. And then um, the, lo the person who's loaning it to us said, why don't you keep it a little longer since people don't get to see it. You do remember. Okay, okay yeah. so it was here. When yeah, we were so here. this is a collection of miniature silver. A lot of this dates to the 1700s. And it really gives you a good sense of the variety of uh, miniature silver. Like I was telling you a little bit earlier, um, this was where the tradition of miniatures for the upper class and, and then eventually getting out into the general public um, really started in Europe. And so they have a wide range here of everything from, um, you know, like miniature scenes of everyday life. And, and, and the tools. biggest of these are probably only two and a half, three inches long and, and an inch and a half, two inches tall. We've got stagecoaches with horses. We've got carriages with horses. We've got... Uh, a falconer. Oh, yeah, falconer. <laughs> We've got all kinds We've, of yeah. different things. Uh, a cannon. You've got a guy pushing a, a grinding wheel. You've got cups and and saucers and uh, and furniture furniture yeah all kinds of stuff windmills you know like mm -hmm. the dutch windmills sailing ships mm -hmm. uh just all types of stuff in the this is a wedding cup and now um, was this stuff cast or was this stuff uh kind of molded and and i i would believe this would be cast most of this would be cast. Okay. you know they would design it and then cast it 
I don't know, you know, how many in a series. Right. But um, just really interesting variety here, too. You know, we have everything from, like, pin cushions, which is what these are. Right. To... Um, a swan with a, with a pin cushion yeah. in the, in the, between the wings on its back. These are for, I can't remember what they're... Wager they're thimbles, cups. aren't they're, they? No, they're wager cups. So What's you, a wager cup? So you um, flip it over, and you put your alcohol in the cup, okay. and you spin the... <coughs> pardon me. You spin the... Uh, Propeller wind, on the, the windmill. The windmill. And um, it's kind of like a competition who can drink the fastest. And um, <laughs> it's, okay. a, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> so those are examples. This one has the windmill broken off. This is a, a wedding cup. And this is where you feel you actually flip the skirt over. Okay. Um, and you, so that each person They're can like drink. They're like little shot glasses. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But for special occasion or for, right. for fun. <laughs> So yeah, just a, a nice variety. It gives you an example of different things. And um, the uh, Don Luria is the person who loaned this to us, and it was his mother who collected these when he was a little boy. Okay. Every weekend, she would go out um, hunting for things, and she would come home with her miniature silver, and she had this collection and some more. Um, this is a good portion of well, her Well, again, and, and the artwork on this, the engravings, uh, the detail to the ships or the the horse and buggies or the windmills or whatever is just phenomenal. It really is. And, um, yeah, so that's that's an example of that. Okay. Um, let's see. What now, else? as we walk into this, this room, uh, you've got a lot of what I would probably best describe as the Christmas scenes that you see in the department stores where they have the, the houses and the people people walking around, kind of like if you ever watched The Grinch, mm -hmm. Whoville. Mm -hmm. You got Whoville in here yeah, uh, with all the different houses and, and really ornate designs. And right in the middle of the floor, you've got a great big octagon that is all glass. And you can look in from on top of the, all the buildings and the, the town scene and everything else. And this is probably 10 by 10, yeah, I would assume. Yeah, about 10 by 10. As, as far as feet. Mm -hmm. The snow village under glass. So you're like Santa Claus flying over the city, I guess. There you go. <laughs> Looking for chimneys. Yep. <laughs> Kids absolutely love to explore this. And and this um, is all set up to where they can walk across. It yeah, and, yeah, And everything exactly. else you can look down. and. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got all your cases with all the different houses, mm -hmm. diners, uh, kind of mushroom looking houses, mm -hmm. all really nicely colored. Now, are most of these porcelain? These are porcelain. These are the Department 56 collections. Okay. So, I'm not familiar um, with that. Yeah, it's, um, it's more of a commercial uh, display in this okay. little area. But what I really want to show you in here today is the Adams Family House. That oh, we have no. On display. The Adams Family. Yeah, we're borrowing the Adams Family House from um, Ara Bentley, who is from the Dallas area. And uh, she started making this dollhouse of uh, the Adams Family Home, which she loved, and it grew from a dollhouse kit, which she started in the center. She added her own wings and transformed it into the Adams Family House. Wow. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of dark and gloomy. It has some <laughs> tombstones out front and some gargoyles. And she, she didn't replicate one particular Adams Family House. You know, there's a television series, and then there were right. the movies that came out. So um, she wanted to get, like, the essentials of all of those, but um, have a little leeway to have some fun playing with okay, it. Okay, and then we'll go around the, the back side. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And we, oh, wow. <laughs> Look at the detail in there. You got Wednesday up on the top floor with her electric oh. chair with things <laughs> on the electric chair. <laughs> and you've got, uh, boy, I can't even remember all the characters. Um, Gomez. Gomez. Is, Gomez, and who was the boy? Um, I don't remember the boy's name. Lurch. Lurch is down Morticia. here. Morticia. Uncle Fester's in here somewhere. They've got the big polar bear. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, isn't this cool? Mm -hmm. It's just everything that you that you would imagine that should be in a Uncle Fester's up here in his room with mm -hmm. a skeleton hanging on a wall. Uh, another skeleton in, in a, a hope chest. <laughs> it's just, wow. She did a fantastic job with she this. She did, yeah. And she was sharing this um, on YouTube, and people just loved it. So as she worked on it, she would do tutorials, and so people could join in and make it a, at their own place, and um, they sent her stuff, and so she added those things in. So it's a combination of most of what she made as well as gifts from um, So if you were wanting to see YouTube. this built, you could go to her channel. Her channel what yeah. is it? Do you know her channel? Um, we name? have it written down here in the brochure, and just take that Her name you. is Era, A-R-A, -A a Yeah, Bentley. Era, Era Bentley. B-E-N-T-L-E-Y. And I know we have it and on here. The Let's Adams Family it. Mini Mansion is yeah. what it's called. So. so that's our email. Let me see where hers is. I know we have it. Oh, we have it through QR code. Okay. Well, <laughs> you, if you look it up this way, I'm sure you'll yeah. be able to find it. If yeah. you want to yeah, see just... maybe how one of these miniature houses is built. Yeah. So exactly. uh, it sounds like, like a pretty interesting display. Mm -hmm. And then we've got over here one of these are called cupid dolls right yeah they are okay okay i didn't want to get that name wrong yeah now as a general rule we don't collect dolls here at the museum okay. we try to try to stick to miniatures but dolls are miniatures to a certain extent so we have a few exceptions like the george stewart historic figures are a type of doll right uh, though he would not call them dolls <laughs> he's not like that term they're historical figures they're historical figures but um anyway these cupid dolls were part of our founders collection and she has some really unique and interesting um, Cupid dolls in this display. So um, we're fortunate to have this little collection here, and we have had people who are big Cupid people um, come check it out. Cool. I'm not a big Cupid person. I'm but not either. It's still there. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Okay. We've got several other uh, oh, displays, houses mm -hmm. that are all here. Here's one that's a, a witch house. Yeah, this is called uh, Cauldron Coven. Cauldron Coven. Yeah, and our founder, Pat Arnell, did this one. So what happened was when she got involved in miniatures, her husband decided to buy her um, a dollhouse kit. And when she got the dollhouse kit, it seemed a little bit like too much for her. So she put it aside for a little while, and then she finally was ready to tackle it when she felt like she had more skill. And she decided that she was going to transform it into a witch's house rather than a traditional okay. house. And then it grew from there. So this was the center original kit house that she had that she built and put together and and then we call it, they call it kit bashing where she um, sort of took liberties with the kit and did okay. her own thing so she created a levitator over here for the witches because they don't need okay yeah they can levitate up into the night night care because they are out at night so they don't have daycare for their kids they <laughs> might care for their kids and, um, you know, she has a secret passageway here. Well, she identified it, so it's not right. too secret. But anyway, she just had fun with this. She really loved Halloween and, and just made this giant mansion and then some side houses to go along with it. Okay. And then you were going to 
Oh, I love this one. These, oh. these are awesome. Uh, Marsha Backstrom was a well-known miniature artisan uh, who made uh, doll figures. And she was known for her um, dowager women. But these are some of her ghosts and witches that she created and, you know, put into some shadow boxes here that I just absolutely love them. <laughs> yeah. So this is Girls Having Lunch, and this one is Coven of Witches. And they just have such a unique... And these are kind and, of rag figures, I yeah. guess is what you'd call them. They're, yeah. they're just made out of cloth. This is, it just keeps going. Mm-hmm, it does. And then we've got another... Halloween uh, village over here. Is that what, the, okay. This is a Creepy Hollow um, commercial kind of building. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say it looks a lot more commercial. Again, yeah, a lot yeah. of the ceramic type buildings like yeah. the Christmas ones. Yeah. Our yeah. founder um, just enjoyed that and she wanted the public to know you don't have to have a lot of money to... Get involved in the hobby. You know there are right. affordable means of uh, having miniature displays. <laughs> so cool. We have a couple of those here. Uh, maybe we go back over in this corner because we haven't really looked at the fairy fairy corner. Oh, and, that's you know, right. We have a resident fairy here, so we don't want to forget. Oh, and this is a fun one too. Um, let me show let's, you this one. I don't think this was on display last time you were here. I think we had it in storage. So this is Dark Side of the Moon Antiques and Oddities, and this is by. Um, April Gill, Ron and April Gill, and uh, there was a show, I guess, on one of the cable channels called Oddities. Oddities, yes. Yeah. I used to watch that. Yeah, she loved that show. So this was sort of her um, homage to Oddities. Okay. <laughs> and um, and a little bit of Harry Potter. She was kind of thinking about the Harry Potter um, the stores in Harry Potter. I can't remember the name of the, the shop. So she was kind of playing off of that so you can get a sense of And in of this one you've got a two-headed calf and you've got a boar skull and you've got uh, it looks like a dolphin skeleton and an octopus holding a table up, glass mm -hmm. on a table, and just a lot of your little oddities that are yeah. odd. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say so much fun, but some of them are kind of morbid. <laughs> but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. And then here's our fairy castle. Um, the This is the, um, forget it's not fairy castle. And so there's this legend in Ireland, and our founder was Irish. Okay. That was her heritage, I should say. She's American, but that was her heritage. So um, she did this uh, historic fairy castle. And the Forget Us Not Fairy Castle is a fairy castle that is under the lake at Loch Lough, I believe it is. And it rises up once a year. And if you believe in fairies, you can enter the castle and okay. spend the day with the fairies in the castle. Wow. And so this was also created by Ron and April Gill, the people who made that piece. Um, for our founder, and then she collected various artisans' pieces to furnish it. Um, so here we've got the fairy king and queen holding court, and if you come around the side, we have the tooth fairy over here, um, <laughs> taking inventory, and it actually, in some of the jars, contained the teeth of her grandchildren. Oh, and, really? And, and some horse teeth from her daughter's horse. <laughs> so it's from little stories. So it's starting to get a little bit crowded yeah, in here. Yeah, it's getting a little busy. So we're getting a little bit of background noise, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, so... Let's go ahead and... Yeah, why don't we... Do you want to head out? Do you think we've covered... I think we've covered... I think we've covered, covered... Pretty well. We, people are going to have a pretty dang good deal idea yeah. of what of what we've got going on Yeah, so on we here. don't want to go out there. Okay. <laughs> That'll take us outside. Well, let's just... Let's step in here real quick and just okay, kind of finish sure. things out. Because uh, there's quite a bit of background noise. Yeah. Anyway, Lisa, I really appreciate you taking your time here with us this morning. Uh, I know that you're busy and and you're getting busier by the by the second. Mm -hmm. uh, is you guys have a website? Yes, we do. It's the minitimemachine.org. 
Okay. And there you can find out all the information. We even have objects from the collection on, on the website. Okay. See our upcoming exhibits and um, and the more pricing to get in is, is really reasonable. This mm -hmm. place is is beyond fascinating, uh, and I highly recommend anybody get here to Tucson and see it. Tucson's really cool because you guys have so many museums uh, and so much to see. But uh, I finish out my podcast by saying the world is full of wonder. <laughs> you, everybody needs to get out and explore. This place is way cool and have a wonder filled. Haul the roll and go, where am I to go, meet Johnny, where am I to go, for I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?